Hi, I'm Libby. And I'm Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. Today we're speaking with Amber Dorco Stopper. Amber is a self-taught crafter. Uh, her materials are yarn and wool generally, but she also does some printing with a letterpress. Her felted portrait busts of Philly celebrities like late Ed Bacon, Suzanne Roberts, and South Street punk hero Mikey Wilde are humorous and lovable. Amber is a mom with two small children who are the recipients of her inventive knitwear clothes and dolls. She's also a writer. She writes for Korean Quarterly and elsewhere, and she's an activist. She and her husband, Ben Levin, who are white, and their adopted children, Bela, from Korea, and Claudia, African-American, are like a mini United Nations. Amber's included in the 2011 Juneteenth Festival in upstate New York, which honors African-American heritage. So tell us about uh, the Juneteenth Festival and the video that you made for it. Sarah Heslin Woods is an adult adoptee. She's a biracial adoptee and who helped found the African-American Culture Center in Olean. She's not anyone I knew. That's New York, Olean, yes, New York? Yes, Olean is in New, in New York. I don't know her personally. I've never met her. But I had been on a, maybe it was a Facebook page or a message board that had something, it was one of the million multicultural message boards that I participate in. And, and I had said, what's on my mind today is that I have an easier time finding cultural connections in the Korean community than I do in the African-American community for my daughter. And Sarah said, I want to be one of your connections. Email me right away. Oh, wow. Wow. And we became very friendly. And she was putting together, I think this is the second time the festival has run. She wanted me to come with a lot of the knitting. We just can't do six hours in the car with the kids and then expect me to have any brain left to give a talk. So I said, what I can do is send a bunch of stuff up, and I can give you a video. And she said, all right, that's great. We'd never made a video in our lives. <laughs> really? No. It looked very professional. It did look professional. We did all it of it with my phone. The whole thing was done with my, my yeah, what iPhone. Kind of phone this it's this phone. It's Holy just gosh. an iPhone 4. Okay, you can see this video on... It's a WordPress site, and it's open to some unknowns.wordpress.com. Okay. The work that I sent up to Sarah's Festival specifically was the work that I had done since the children have been born and maybe a little bit before the children came uh, related to their birth cultures. And it wasn't necessarily that I set out thinking, well, I've got this black child, so she needs a black doll, because you can buy black dolls. But Claudia initially was having a hard time remembering which of us was the white one and which of us was the black one. She knew we were different. It was something we had talked about. And so that's, I remembered having a doll when I was little that it had two torsos and two heads and a skirt that you flipped back and Mm -hmm. forth. And in fact, on one of the heads, it had a bonnet that flipped back and Mm -hmm. forth too. So what you had on one side was Red Riding Hood Mm -hmm. and the other side was the grandmother. But if you flipped the bonnet, it was also the wolf. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I can make a doll like that. She understood the colors better when she saw them in a way that wasn't so related oh. to skin tone. Yeah, because skin is not because she's already white she was just black. learning her colors when she was getting all these concepts down. What is it that she says? People with brown skin are black people. She knows that this isn't white. This is white. This paper is white. But mommy's not really white. But mommy is a white person. And the doll helped. Or by the time I had the doll finished, she had it a little more down, actually. (laughs) But she still liked the doll, which was nice. 
and just a number of other pieces like that. That uh, there was a hat that I had made that I had seen these crocheted hats in the textile museum in Washington D.C. that these men in Cameroon make. There's amazing knitting and crocheting in Africa. And I had started making that before Claudia came or before we knew Claudia was coming because I had seen it and liked it. And then she came and so I made it to fit her head. So was there some reason specifically that you chose to adopt children from other races or... It's easier to adopt children from other races than it is to adopt white children. There's no question about that. Um, I, I guess that's the only reason. We certainly knew we wanted to adopt. We weren't interested in having children on our own. I wasn't interested in conceiving. And had started with Korea because it's a very well-known program. The children are really well taken care of. It took a very long time to get our son, and Claudia sort of flanked him by showing up while we were still waiting for Korea. Oh, interesting. Is that your big connection to Korean culture? In addition to your son, you seem to have this love of Korean culture. Did that start when you started thinking of adopting? It did, and who knew? Because you're not of Korean extraction. No, no, I have nothing to do with Korea. I really knew nothing about Korea, and I mean nothing. It could have been a giant rice patty. I couldn't have told you anything. It was really very ignorant of me. It could have been Laos. It could have been Thailand. I just didn't know. And since all of that was so abstract to me, I said to my husband, well, you know, what do we do? Do we hang a flag in the bedroom? And are we done? Are we done if we've, like, hung up a flag? And then I figured, well, no, we've got to try a little harder than that. But since nobody was watching carefully, I really only chose to to try things that I cared about. So we ate. You know, the first thing we did was eat. And and that worked out pretty well. And then I started renting horror movies from Korea. Oh, what a great idea. That's not where I would have started, but that's really great. And that worked really well for me. And, And that just starts to draw a line. And you get interested in certain directors and... All of a sudden, you've got what's a, it's a real love for something, or at least a real interest. Um, and, and that's all it took. And then when I started looking into textile traditions from that country, where there's not a lot of, I mean, hand knitting just isn't one of the key things. It's not any kind of, there's no iconic hand knitting out of Korea. But, but there's a lot of other things. And because I was writing for Korean Quarterly, I had an opportunity to pinpoint artists that I wanted to have a chance to talk to and was able to do it. I was doing book reviews, drama reviews, Korean dramas, the television dramas. That's a big... Oh, Have fun. you seen those? Have no, you seen those? but I heard or, about them. Yeah, be careful. So once tell you're us in, about them. <laughs> you can usually find a good K-drama on any PBS station, but they are... Um, I wouldn't call them soap operas. You know, they have a beginning and end point, but they tend to run maybe 150 episodes... And there's the historical ones, but then there's also the office dramas. It's always, you know, the son of the head of the company who's supposed to marry this girl but really likes the girl who works in the janitorial. It's it's always the exact same story over and over, actually. And then the mother gets leukemia. It's always, there's always leukemia and, yeah. They're wonderful, though, and people love them. And so I was able to get DVDs and review entire series that way and, And then I realized that I had access to a lot of people I was interested in having access to, to speak to. Like like Chung Lee, 
the artist Chung Yi Lee, who's an incredible fiber artist and who has work in the permanent collections at the Victoria and Albert and a number of other museums, and her daughter Ji Young Chung, who's a, a, a paper artist uh, who does beautiful work. And very much by accident, B.R. Myers, who I had only known before that as he had written a book called A Literary Manifesto, in which he had just trampled Cormac McCarthy and like, all the big literary fiction people in America. <laughs> so I loved him so immediately <laughs> from that moment on. It was at a time that I was publishing a literary mm -hmm. magazine and was absolutely sick at heart with what was happening in literary fiction and disgusted. And then there was this piece, and originally it was in the Atlantic Monthly. Well, what, what didn't you like about what was going on in literary fiction? Oh, that it's bad. I'm, I'm not even sure there's no... And what can I say? Who do you like in literary fiction? Who do you read? There isn't anything very contemporary that I read at all. Well, go back. What who do, who you, do read? you read in the, the way back? I, I really read and reread Proust. Oh. Um, <laughs> what's that mean? <laughs> such an interesting answer. Yeah. But there are there are still plenty of 20th century writers and 21st century. I, Richard Price. Richard oh, Price. He's great. Yes. Oh, you know who Richard Price is? Yeah, sure. Oh, he just makes my heart stop. And the books before Clockers in particular, these were books that I had found in my father's drawer where the Playboys were. When I was <laughs> maybe 10 and 12, Ladies Man and The Wanderers and Blood Brothers. Huh. These are these are heavy books. And they were in there with the Playboys. And I read them when I was way too young to read them. And to this day, I keep extra paperback copies of Ladies Man when I can to give to people. Are you a fiction writer yourself? Yeah, I've published about 30 short stories. Oh, wow. That's what I started out doing. I could see the trend of my own laziness and how, you know, when I had started publishing and then I had a couple years that were considered really big years in periodical literary publishing and what happened when it started to trail off and how much more I started to care about my work hmm. at that point and know that now out of the 30 stories I've published that I like three of them and it would have been just as well to have not written the others, except that you need to write the others. Hmm. Have you done the same kind of sorting through with your knitting and your artwork? I do. I really like to get rid of things. You know, I'll write out what I've done if I need to refer back to it within the project or need to make the other, the mirror image of a thing, you know, the other side of the vest, the left side to the right side. Um, but I'll throw it away after that. So you, you don't care that there's a track record on how to make it again because no. you can probably make it again. Why would I ever want to make it again? Oh, no, all I need is to be done, and I like to get a decent picture. doesn't have to be a great picture, but once I have a picture, it's done. I spent maybe three months making a stuffed robot for my son, and it was a robot who was a chango player, because that's what Bela wanted him to be, a traditional Korean pungul drummer. I said, okay, here's your robot, sit down. And I took a few pictures, and then I walked away, and... Then the robot was face down in the dirt outside. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> how's it going? The robot looks like it's 15 years old already. Tell us about how you got into knitting and, and crocheting and crafting in the first place. Did you mm -hmm. learn from Grandma? No, I didn't learn from Grandma. Um, 
I think that when I was little, I can remember really distinctly having this very romanticized feeling about needlework in books, like reading the Little House on the Prairie books and reading A Little Princess and um, even Little Women. Everyone is like sitting and working. And particularly in those books, nobody has a very, nobody's making a very good doll. You know, somebody's making a doll out of a an old cracker and digging out little divots for eyes and using some little bit of some other seam of a garment and making the body out of it. And for some reason that always appealed to me very much as a kid. Those were my favorite descriptions in the books of these things that people made by hand out of almost nothing. Do you think of yourself more, do you think of yourself as an artist? Do you think of yourself as a writer? What do you think of yourself as? I think of myself as a writer. I don't even remotely think of myself as an artist. Everything that I've accomplished this year, it's all just a way to put off writing. It really really is. And you are a true writer. (laughs) Because I'm still managing to write. Um, And like I said, I've written many short stories. I've published about 30. I've got three stories that I like, and I think that I'm going to spend part of this year setting those stories in lead type. And printing single volume one story at a time I've had a friend illustrate one story that's an old story but it's held up for me and I don't know what I'll do with it once I do that that's great so do you think you're going to have any more kids oh come on Is that a rude question? Is that an incredibly rude question? I wouldn't say that to my daughter, you know? (laughs) All the things people don't tell you about having kids. What they tell you is it'll change you forever. Nothing will ever be the same. Well, that's true, Don't they say that? That is totally true. But that's all they say. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the deep, dark secret that keeps the human race going. Exactly, and they don't say it's going to be horrible. It's going to be like a bloodletting every day of your life. And for the first time ever, you're going to start to think of what it's like to be dead. You're going to think about how limited you are and what will happen to them when you're not here and what you have to give them now. By the time we got to the end of waiting for Bela to come, I had a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder There's so much more to it than I realized. And at the same time as I can say, it's so much harder than I ever thought it was going to be. You also hear people say, you're going to love your kid like you've never loved anybody in the world. You have no freaking idea how much you can love somebody. And what you would knit for them. If they asked you. (laughs) Make me a robot playing a chongo. Because my underwear have been dry all week. (laughs) You sit right down and do it. We've been talking with Amber Dorka Stopper. Amber, thanks so much for talking with us. Thank Thank you. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.